So this is Adoption Sunday, and, and it, is, it is probably one of my favorite Sundays in the entire year. But before I dig into the passage of Scripture we're going to talk about, I've got, I got to say this little caveat. This is actually a Sunday sermon emphasis that we should never have to make as a church. We should, we should never have to emphasize adoption, not because adoption isn't important, but because it is so clear in the commands of Scripture, we shouldn't even have to talk about it. It should just be something that we do because you know, like there's no ambiguity in it. In fact, I want to go to one of the, the most well-known passages of Scripture that talk about caring for orphans, caring for vulnerable children. It's, it's the book of James, chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to dig right in from the beginning. Book of James, chapter 1. We're going to spend our entire time in the book of James. So you might as well go ahead and get there, open it up, chapter 1. By the way, the book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, so he probably knew what he was talking about when he tells us what really matters. And he sums down, boils down all the faith into two simple things. I want us to read this, James chapter 1, verse 27, one of the most definitive passages that talk about our need to care for the vulnerable children. It says this, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I mean, really, it's just like drop the mic, walk off, it's done, you know, it's he, he told us we're, we're supposed to care for vulnerable orphans and widows and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He says all the Christian faith boils down to these two things. Now, I don't know, I don't know about you guys, but like if I were boiling down the Christian faith, I think I might broaden it a little bit. Like probably church attendance somewhere in there, read your Bible, pray, be generous, do help the poor, I don't do something. Like it seems to be broader than just caring for widows and orphans and then keeping oneself unstained from the world. Yet the half-brother of Jesus says, I want to boil it down to this. This is all I want to tell you about what the real Christian faith is about. And I think he makes it so unambiguous that it really should just be natural, like knee-jerk natural for us as a church to do this. It should be so common, so normal, that it would almost feel weird to talk about adoption. Like, be like trying to teach a baby they got to cry when they're hungry. You just don't do that. I, I got I to teach my teenage kids to roll their eyes when I make a dad joke. You know, like I, I don't have to teach them. I don't have to say, baby, here's how you roll your eyes. I don't, I don't have to do it. They just do it naturally. And it should be that way for the church. Like, I should never have to teach you about this because it's like so natural. And when you follow Jesus, this is what you do because it's so clear. We should never, ever have to have a Sunday emphasis on adoption. Yet here we are. And we do it every single year in November. And we've even added a second one in May to focus in on, on foster care because it's that important. We keep on to bring it back before the congregation over and over and over again. And here's the reason why. Because we're still not obeying it. That's the reason why. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, there's a feeling of, uh, of a gut punch. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, all up in your business. And I, and I got to say this to um, poor staff over here have to spend a lot of time with me. And if you're watching, you've been watching for any length of time, there are some of you that are probably a little bit frustrated with me because I can come off as very abrasive. And I hear from time to time people tell me, Jason, listen, man, I love you, brother, but you keep trying to make everybody just like you. Like, okay, we get that adoption's really important to you. We know you brought a couple kids. You tell us all the time, you know, you brought a couple kids into your home. We, we know it matters to you, but... Like, can you just stop trying to make us all clones of you, Jason? Not everybody's going to adopt. Not everybody's going to bring the whole world into their home. So stop making me feel guilty every time. 
And, and if you've ever felt that way, first of all, let me apologize because <laughs> I know I know I have a tendency to be super passionate about this because it is such a huge part of my life. And, and sometimes I forget that I have a literal microphone that amplifies my voice and, and it makes it much louder than I intend it to be. And, and I, I want to apologize when I can come off too strong. But I want you to understand my heart in this. Please hear this. The reason I want you to step into this isn't because I want you to be like me. It's because I know one day you are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear, well done. I don't want you to hear like, dude, how could you miss the thing that was so clear in the scriptures? I want you to hear, well done. You put at top priority what I said was priority. I'm doing this for you, not because I want you to be like me. And I don't want to add just one more layer of legalistic mess on top of you, one more thing you got to do before the Father will love you, because this is, that's the antithesis of the gospel. I want this to flow from your belief in what Christ has done for you. And if you want to please the Father by walking into this ministry of caring for vulnerable children, you must not do it as a means to earn his love. Like, you can't think that if I adopt 100 kids, he must love me more than the dude who only adopts one or doesn't adopt at all. The only way that the Father is pleased when we step into this ministry is when we do it because we're overwhelmed at his love for us and his adoption for us, as Reggie already spoke about. And so we have, to, we have to make sure we don't approach this ministry as one more little notch in our belt, one more good thing that we get to do to make God love us. It has to be born from the gospel. And, and one of the main reasons why I think so many people struggle with verse 27 is because they rip it out of its context and they try to make it one more burden to place on somebody's shoulder. When really, if you look at the passage of Scripture, verse 27 is just the culmination of a journey that began back in verse 19. And so I want us today to come back to the context of this so that we understand the nature of verse 27 the way God intended us to understand it. So we're going to skip back to verse 19 of James chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole journey, and we're going to culminate yet again in verse 27. Back in 19, here's what it says. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts... He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now here you get to it. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what I really wanted you to see in the journey is that verse 27 is the culmination of a whole conversation that he's been talking about. It starts with uh, your tongue and how you talk. Now, there's actually two themes that he's interweaving right here that you can get confused by, so I want to separate them because what, what James is doing is he's setting up some of the meta themes for the rest of the book. So verses 19 and 20, when it talks about be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, and then uh, and you skip over to verse 26, it says if you think you're religious but don't bridle your tongue, then you're fooling yourself. What he's doing here is he's setting up chapter 3. In chapter 3, he's going to talk about the dangers of your speech and how you can burn people with what you say. So he's setting up that idea. you got to control your speech. But intermingled in this, he's also setting up that at some point, you got to put practice to what you say you believe. you got to be a doer and not just a hearer. And so verse 27 is the culmination of that conversation that begins in verse 21. 
21 through 25, set up verse 27. So let's go back, and I want us to go very meticulously through these verses to understand what's taking place. So we have the right origin and heart for verse 27. So looking back at verse 21, reread that with me. It says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, this, this happens to preachers just as much as it happens to everybody else. We read a passage of Scripture, and we totally miss what's taking place. I, I, I'm confessing to you guys that for the majority of my life, I've read this incorrectly. I've read this when it says the implanted word as if it was talking about the Bible as a whole, the word of God. You know, because next it says be doers of the word and not just hearers. And like, well, that must mean we got to obey what this book says. I don't know if y'all have had the same issue but you, you read it, and it sounds like it's talking about the Word, the Bible. But as I studied the passage of Scripture, what I realized is it wasn't, wasn't talking about the Bible in general. It was talking about the gospel specifically. That's the implanted Word. In Greek, Word is, is the word logos, and, and it can mean both a specific word, but it can also mean like the content of a message. It's something that's communal, like, hey, good word, brother. Like that's not just like one word, but that's the whole content of the message. And I'm hoping you say that to me when this is done. Good word, brother. But the, the message right here specifically isn't just a generality. It is the message of the gospel. Now, sitting right in front of me here, you can't see him, is a guy named Marvin. And just last night, this, this German brother was all up in my business telling me, listen, when you preach, you got to make sure that you articulate. There's people who are watching, and it could be you. And you're going, I, you know, I hear words like gospel and words like sin and stuff and and I, but I don't know if I know what those things mean. He wouldn't say, he, he knows what they mean, but he was saying people listening might not know what they mean. So I want to make sure I clearly articulate when I talk about how that, the word implanted word means gospel, that you know what I mean. So gospel is a message that says that though you and I had sinned, now sin is you and I rebelling against God. God had created us, breathed life into us, told us how we should walk, and we decided, now I know how to do it better than you. I'm going to do it my way, not your way. And we make ourselves enemies of Almighty God, deserving His wrath. It's the bad news. The good news of the gospel is God knew we were messed up and going to receive His wrath, so He says, I love you too much. He sent His Son, Jesus, to take on flesh so that He could ultimately go to a cross and absorb all the wrath of God, pay the penalty that we deserve because we were enemies of Almighty God. And when he absorbed that, three days later, he rose from the dead, proving to be the Savior and the King of the universe. And when you and I decide that we're going to follow this man, Jesus Christ, we confess our sin and we trust in Christ, then we are now reconciled back to God. That's the message of the gospel. That's the implanted word. Now, I know when you hear that, you're going, man, that's a whole lot of assumption you're making. It just says implanted word. It doesn't say all that other stuff. How do you know that's what it means? Well, let me, let me go back to the reason why we know it. It's because of the context. So first thing, the most important thing, is it says the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Let me go ahead and make this as clear as I can. There is no word that can save your souls other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the word of God is beautiful, and in it is the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But just because you read the Bible from beginning to end does not mean it will save your soul. You can memorize the Bible from beginning to end, and it still won't save your soul. The only thing that saves your soul is belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when it says the implanted word, you have to receive, and that word receive is talking about believe in it by faith. And it says with meekness, which means in humility, not making demands of God, but knowing we don't deserve this grace from God, but we receive it by faith. That implanted word, which is the gospel, can save our souls. 
So we know what it means simply because of that context, which can save your soul. But the, the second one, and this was another aha moment for me. Uh, I'm going to geek out again with some really, really, really lame Greek verbiage for you. But it was what happened earlier in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and then receive with meekness the implanted word. It says, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. So there's an idea that the, the Greek is trying to conjure here when it talks about filthiness and rampant wickedness. And this idea that we are covered in muck and mess and dirt and there are flies like flying all around us. And we're like, woo, you know, just like up to the brim and junk and filthiness. And we put it aside. It says we put away. That, that word in Greek literally means to throw away. To, to cast aside, it's the idea not that we put it in the hamper to be washed, but we go, that needs to be burned and put in the trash. This is so filthy. We are taking it off. Now, when I read this the first time, here's another part where I've missed it until I really studied the passage of Scripture. I, I, I thought that more of like an ongoing thing, like ongoing repentance. You know, every time we sin, we go back and we take off that. We repent of it and come back to Christ. And so I fully expected when I studied this to see the verb put away and it be a present tense verb because I've been, I've been sharing this with you guys like over and over and over again. Anytime you see a present tense command in Greek, it's referring to an ongoing action, something you got to keep on doing. So I, I ex fully expected it to be a present tense command. So keep on putting away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And when I went to study it, I, all of a sudden I said, oh, dang, it's not a present tense verb. It's what's, what's called an aorist. Now you're going, what in the world's an aorist? You don't have to know what an aorist is, Nadia, okay? I just want you to know that. An aorist just is referring to something that's at one specific point in time. So present tense is ongoing, but here's a big fancy word for you. Aorist is punctiliar. <laughs> I just wanted to impress you all with that word. But punctiliar, one point in time. And so what this is saying is this is referring to a moment in time when you remove all the filthiness and rampant wickedness. And what's interesting is the next command, receive with meekness, the implanted word, is another aorist verb. In other words, it's something that you do one time, at a point in time. So what this is talking about is conversion. This is talking about the moment of transformation when you place your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have repentance. I'm so sick of the filth and muck all over me of my sin. I'm sick of smelling to high heaven. I'm sick of offending a clean and holy God. I want to take all this off. I don't want to walk in it anymore. And then I turn to Jesus Christ and I say, forgive me my sins. Cast my whole life before him and say, take over. I invite you in spirit. And he comes in and we receive with meekness the gospel, the implanted word, which is able to save our soul. And all of a sudden my mind went this is conversion. This is, this is transformation. This is the moment in time you trust in Christ. And everything else flows from that. Now, here's why that matters. I'm going to talk a lot about our role to care for vulnerable children, the idea of bringing a child into our home. And, and I have to make sure it comes from the right place. Because if you make it about trying to be right with Almighty God, trying to earn his affection, you're going to miss completely. It's all stemming from the fact that we have already had that moment of, of soul transformation and conversion. And so if you have never in your life had the time when you realized that you were covered in filth and muck and sin and you needed to cast it aside, burn it, do away with the old self, die to self, invite Christ to forgive you of your sins and take over your life, if you never had that moment when you draw a line in the sand and you step over it saying, from now on, God, I live for you. The old me is gone. 
conversion, transformation, nothing in your life will change until that happens. And so I want to invite you to take that step of faith. I've, I've heard it explained before very simply. It just requires the ABCs. It's super simple. A, you got to admit that you're a sinner. You got to admit that you have filth and wickedness. Remember, sin is to rebel against God and his ways and prefer to do it our own way. You got to admit, yeah, God, I've chosen my path over yours. I've caused all this problem. Wasn't my parents, wasn't my neighbors, wasn't you, God, it was me. So we admit our sin. And then B, we believe that what Jesus Christ did on the cross was enough. He really did raise up from the dead. He really is alive. He really is the king. And then C, we confess Christ as our Lord and our master. We confess that he can take over and have us. And when we do the ABCs, that's the moment of conversion. That's the moment of transformation. Listen, if you're watching this and you're ready to take that step of faith, you don't have to listen to anything else I say. You can do that for the rest of the time. In fact, we want to partner with you. I didn't tell the people back in the, in the booth that we're doing this, but I, I want to go ahead and tell you right now that you can take a next step. So there's that same thing we've been telling you about before, is little next steps that you can take. You just text the word next step to 94253, or you can go straight to the website, fuel.org slash next step. And what that allows us to do is to connect with you and help you in this journey. Like you, you don't need us to come to faith in Christ, but you need us to grow in your faith in Christ because we need others to do so. So I want to encourage you right now, just you can turn this thing off, you can stop listening, you can take the step of faith because you need to begin here with conversion, the moment where you come to faith in Christ Jesus. I pray you'll take that step. But let me say this, the moment you believe in Jesus Christ and all you people right here watching, I know your stories, I know your faith, I know where you're at. Let me tell you what happens the moment you believe in the gospel. It gets implanted in you. He says, we receive with meekness the implanted word. The, the gospel gets implanted. It begins to dig in roots inside of us and take over us entirely. It begins to change the way that we think, the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we breathe. That's why at Fielder, we, we say you, you can't just inhale the gospel. You don't, you don't get to just breathe it in and believe it and become redefined by it. You have to exhale the gospel. There has to be a moment where you live out the implications of the gospel. And this is exactly why James, after he talks about this moment of conversion in verse 21, goes right into saying you got to put some legs and feet to this gospel message in verses 22 to 25. Uh, let's keep on going. Here's what it says next. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, another, another confession moment for you guys. Never understood this illustration in my life until I was studying this passage. I, I, was, I was admitting to Matt Hunter who's sitting over here. He had a much better understanding of it than I did before I studied this. But I, I just kept thinking like, I, I just don't get it. First of all, who looks in a mirror and then just like, utterly forgets the moment they walk off. Like, who does that? That didn't even make sense to me. But more importantly, who cares if you forget what you look like? Like, I think there are some people who would probably do well to forget what they look like because they're a little too into themselves. My kids love it when I do this. I go, you know, like, but you know, there's some people like they walk by a mirror and they go, hey, what's, you know, like looking at themselves. There, there would be some of us, we would do well to forget what we look like. And so I'm, I'm sitting here reading this going, I don't get the big deal. So what if you forget what you look like? And then I was studying this passage of Scripture last week, and all of a sudden I had this realization. I didn't understand the, the point of a mirror in the ancient world. 
So, so some things I discovered as I was studying, and I, I kind of quasi-knew them, but I never put them together. One, mirrors were very rare in biblical times. It, they just, it wasn't like you could go to any restroom and see a mirror. It wasn't like you could just walk through a hallway and you're going to find a mirror. Most people like, rarely saw images of themselves ever because they just, mirrors weren't common. Second thing is that it was exceptionally messy and dirty back then. Like there was just dirt everywhere, and you were covered in it all the time. I mean, like, if you were going to go somewhere, you didn't get to walk on, like, a, a sidewalk or, or on a, a, a paved road. You, you walked on dirt all the time. And when you went into your house, you didn't, like, kick back on your soft carpet or at least your clean hardwood floor. You kicked back on dirt. And when it was time to sleep, you didn't get in your little comfy memory foam bed. You laid down on dirt. That's what you did. If you were going to go drive somewhere, you didn't get in your little Prius and go drive where you wanted to go. You got out with your little Jesus sandals and you walked on the dirt. That's, that's how it worked. And you were constantly covered in dirt, nonstop. And, and here's the, the rather nasty side of things. Like they just didn't bathe very often back then. You, you didn't have showers and, and you just walk into it, get a quick shower after a run or something like that. You know, you just, you just lived in it. You were constantly covered in the muck and nastiness around you. And usually they only bathe. Like if you were wealthy, maybe you bathe once a week. If you were a commoner, maybe once every few months you would actually bathe. And you would only do that before like a wedding or a bar mitzvah or something like that. Other than that, you just lived in the nasty. And everybody did, which makes it why Jesus was like, none of you peeps are going to wash feet because they're so gross. I'll do it for you. The only places they ever washed were hands before they were going to eat and feet, at least they were supposed to. But the rest of them stayed totally covered in muck and grime. Now, when you understand that, then you come back to the mirror. Every once in a while, a person would have the opportunity to see themselves in a mirror. And do you know what they would see looking back at them? A dude covered in muck and grime. And they'd go, oh, man, I need to take a bath. <laughs> you, just, you would see yourself and realize how dirty you were, and you would do something about it. So a mirror in the ancient world actually became synonymous as a metaphor for cleanliness. It was the mirror that showed you your feel so you would do something to get clean. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, well, that makes a lot more sense why he would talk about this. But there's a way that James teaches that actually flips it on its head. So now, now you understand the way mirrors work in the ancient world. You come back to this metaphor, and he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Like walk into a mirror, seeing yourself, and then walking off and forgetting what you look like. Now remember, when he says doers of the word, it's not the Bible in general. It's the gospel specifically. So he's saying when you look in a mirror... In light of the gospel of Jesus, he's saying you look at yourself, a reflection of yourself, and you know you've been trouncing through a world that is covered with dirt and muck. You know that you've fallen a few times and you've chosen to be with the swine just groveling and spinning around in the dirt. And you look in the mirror and you are expecting to see yourself covered in grime and dirt. And you look at it and you go, dang, I'm clean. Where would I get this white robe from? How am I looking so fly right now? You're looking at the mirror and you look amazing. And all of a sudden you realize, I have been cleansed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has washed every sin away. He has put a robe around me and a ring on my finger. In fact, you look at the mirror and you see somebody staring back at you and his name is Jesus. You look like Jesus. And what he's saying is that when you look in a mirror and you realize that it's Jesus and he's coming back, that reflection is coming back, he's saying don't walk away and forget that. And go right back to the muck and mess and be who you used to be. He said, if you look like Jesus, act like Jesus. 
Don't just be a hearer of the word that goes away. Be a doer of the word. If you have received the gospel, go live out the gospel. Don't let it be something that goes in one ear and out the other. So all this is just setting up the concept, the idea that is verse 27. So when we get to verse 27, we're not trying to to bring children into our home and to care for the orphan and the widow and and all this stuff because we want to be clean. We do verse 27 because we are clean, because we have been cleansed by Jesus Christ, because we're looking at the reflection of the white robe, and we don't forget what we look like. We remember what Christ has done, and we walk off and we say, if it's been done to me, I want to do it for somebody else. And now we come back to verse 27, and now we know the context and we reread it. Here's what it says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He says, this is the pinnacle of belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the exhale of the message you have inhaled. This is you putting legs and feet to the gospel message, being a doer of it. Two parts to it. I'm going to focus on the second first. He says, keep yourself unstained from the world. Now, that makes a lot more sense what we've understood about the mirror now. We're looking at ourselves, and we see Jesus looking back at us with a white robe and the ring on our finger. We know what's been done for us. And he says, walk away and, and be who you are now. Be clean. Live clean. Don't let the stains of the world come back on top of you. So it makes sense now. But the other part of it, the first part, he says, is real Christian faith. The, the, a pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction. Now, probably the hardest part about this, I think, is the English translation. And this is one of the hardships of, of knowing this whole book of the New Testament was written in Greek and we're reading it in an English translation because it misses some of it. I, I was just studying this, Matt, I haven't told you this yet, but I was just studying it this morning. Uh, and the word for visit, it's, uh, it's episkeptomai. It's, it's two words put together. And you, you'll get there. Epi just means upon. And skeptomai is where the word skeptical comes from. So skeptomai is the idea of looking super intently, examining something. You're, you're skeptical. You see the outside of it, but you don't want to believe the outside. You want to dig in a little bit deeper to know a little bit more. Episkeptomai. And he's saying that we should look intently at the needs of the vulnerable and not just take it at face value. They look happy. I look like everything's good. No, 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 no. I care too much about you. I'm going to be skeptical enough to look in to make sure that you are loved for and cared, that your needs are being met, that someone has told you they love you, that you have a place. I'm going to be skeptical to assume that you're okay. I'm going to examine deeply. I'm going to look upon you. I'm going to visit you and meet every single one of your needs. It is saying we are going to love and fulfill every duty of love for the vulnerable around us. That's what it means to visit the orphan and the widow. Now, this morning, I want to focus specifically on the orphan. Now, in our church, we have a widow's ministry. Our deacons do it. We want to make sure that we minister to them. But the broader congregation, God is calling us to visit, to be skeptically discerning, to look at the needs of vulnerable children and to do something about it. To say, we're not, we're not okay just assuming they're going to be okay. We, we want to we make a difference for them. We want to make sure they feel loved, they feel known, they feel cared for. And we're not going to rest until they are. That's what it means. We've been called to do so. Why? Because God has done that for us. God saw us as vulnerable children. God saw us living in the dumpsters, looking around for some scraps. 
And he says, no, 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 i got to care for them. He sends his own son to pay a price so we could be adopted into his family and we could have a seat at the table and the white robe and the ring on our fingers and we could be called by his name. And as he has done that for us, so we look around and we see vulnerable children, we say, so I will do for you. It's a response to the gospel for us to care for the vulnerable children around us. And that's why, for the rest of the time I have with you, and I don't have much, I just want to tell you, what it looks like for you to care for the vulnerable children around you, to visit them, to look upon their needs. Now, I know at this point, I'm pretty certain what's going through your mind right now. Some of you watching this, if you've been around me, you're going, okay, here's where he's going to get to the guilt stuff. He's going to show me images of children that are hungry and all. It's going to make me feel all guilty. And he's going to try to tell me i got to adopt 12 kids. All right, let's go ahead and pack our bags. We're going on a guilt trip. I'm just getting ready for it right now. And you feel a little bit of apprehension about what I'm about to say. And to be honest with you, it would be very easy for me to use guilt or shame or condemnation to try to get you to do something. But I'm not going to do what the Bible doesn't do. And the Bible doesn't use guilt or shame or condemnation as a carrot in front of you to get you to do something. It actually uses the opposite of that. It uses blessing. I want you to look right back at verse 25 one more time. I want to really zero on this last verse so you understand the motivation of why I want you to enter into this space. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now don't miss what it says. He will be blessed, not in his hearing, not in his eloquent waxing. Not, no, he will be blessed in his doing. So what this is saying is if you want to find the blessing of God, do something for the vulnerable child. Do something because the blessing comes in doing. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Your question right now should be, then what should I do? Not, not if I should do. What should I do? Because there is blessing in the doing. And God doesn't want you to be deceived thinking you can just have warm feelings about adoption and that's enough or warm feelings about vulnerable children he wants you to do something about it. And he wants to bless you when you do. And so if you're willing to ask the question, willing, what do I do? And we as a church want to help you with it. Obviously, one of the main things that you could do would be to bring a child into your home through adoption and foster parenting. And, and i got to be honest with you, I love hearing over and over again how many people, because of these services that we have, have been stirred to bring a child into their home. In fact, I love the irony of this. So this, this very morning... On Sunday morning, in our Grand Prairie campus, the, the, the campus pastor, the one who should be teaching, Tony Aviles, he's not going to be able to teach this Sunday because he is literally in Colombia adopting a child instead of preaching about adoption, which I think is just so beautiful because two years ago on Adoption Sunday, the Lord called him to take this move forward, and now he's doing it with his family. One year ago, the Lord called a beautiful family, Rafi and Marilyn Rondon, to say, we want to bring a child into our home through foster care. And they just last week finished up all their work to receive a child. Because on, on this day, on Adoption Sunday, God stirred their hearts. And every single time we do this, God stirs someone's heart. But I have one unique letter that someone wrote me that I just want to share with you. Because it's just, it's just too good to pass up. Uh, we got this, uh, Maddie and I and a few others got this letter from a, a lady named Courtney Gross, and she just wanted to tell us about the ministry of our church. She wrote, my husband Matt and I attended Fielder for a few years while we lived in Arlington, and though I grew up in the church, when I walked in the first day, I was a non-Christian venturing into a faith I was only mildly curious about. 
And over the next few years, I grew to know and love Jesus, was baptized, and had two children. And though we moved in 2018, we still supplement our current church with the online teachings of Filter Pastors. Then she says, the purpose of this letter, though, is to express my gratitude for Filter's commitment to foster care and adoption. Through God's work in the foster care ministry, my husband's heart was open to children from hard places. And we began fostering through Covenant Kids Family Services after one year of their meetings at Filder. And in 2019, we took in a one-year-old little boy who we would ultimately adopt a year and a half later. And he's the purpose of this letter. I want to personally thank Filder for their part in bringing Zach into our family. I'm confident that without your church and its adoption mission, we would not have our precious son. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. And we, we have a picture of, I want you to see this precious family. Let's see if we can bring that picture up. And there he is down there in the bottom, you, you, right? You can't see his shirt maybe, but it says, I stole their hearts, now I'm stealing their last name. And just, I love that. This precious child who's, who's in that family because on one of the adoption Sundays, there was a message that called people out and they responded. But, but I, I want to say one last thing. There's one little tag at the end of this, and it says, just, just one more short story. She wrote, we used respite one time while Zach was in foster care. And if you don't know what respite care is, respite care is when, when someone's in the, the foster care system, they can't just be handed off to anybody. But there are times, especially with children who come from traumatic backgrounds, when they're, they're super vulnerable and, and it can be exhausting for a family to provide care for them. And if, if they want to have a date night out or a weekend away, they, they can only allow their child to be with people who are trained with respite care, where they can, they can actually be licensed to give a break to these families. And so it says that we used respite one night while Zach was in foster care. And our case manager found us a woman who was available from the dates we, for the dates we needed. And though it was quite a drive to her house, it was actually like an hour drive away from where she lived, she said, we decided to use her because she came highly recommended. As I pull up to her house to, to drop off my future son rather hesitantly, then I looked to my left and was stunned to see Pastor Jason doing yard work at his house. And the respite provider was Jason's neighbor. And I sat there with my foster son in my arms, the very one who would become my child later, thanking Jason for his part in our story. And it was an incredible full circle moment. And I was and still am in all of God's intricate plan. And I, I remember when it happened. I remember I'm out here doing yard work. I'm just covered in leaves and everything. And I see a woman who starts walking toward me and she looks vaguely familiar from, from the church. And she goes, are, are you Pastor Jason? I said, yeah. She's like, man, I, I have been so meaning to, to, to talk to you, but this child right here, he's in our care because you preached a message that called us out and my husband finally said yes. And it's so crazy that in the entire Metroplex, we just drove an hour and the person was across the street from you and you were doing yard work and I got to tell you thank you. And it's just like reminding me, this is how God orchestrates things. He's so in love with adoption. He was so willing to, to, to adopt that he sent his own son to do it. He loves adoption. And so when someone steps into the space, he wants to delight their hearts in these kinds of ways. And I got to experience it. I mean, I promise you, if you want to experience blessing of God, bring a child into your home, you will experience his blessing. But, but I also know this. I know there are so many of you watching this, and, and even here in the room, and I don't know many of you who have adopted in this room, but there are many of you going, I, God hasn't called me to that yet. Maybe he will one day. He hasn't called me to that yet. And so you can go, this must be a message for someone else. And, and really where I want to land today, oddly enough, on Adoption Sunday isn't on adoption. It's on providing support for the families that receive these vulnerable children. 
Because here's what I know. This command wasn't just given to the people. Now, I'm praying that filler is some 10 to 20% of our whole congregation bring vulnerable children into their homes. But that still leaves another 80 to 90% of our congregation. And this message isn't for the sliver of 10 to 20%. It's for everybody who believes in the gospel of Jesus. Remember, it, it was predicated upon verse 21, which was our conversion moment when we were transformed by the gospel of Jesus. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you're watching this, then this message, this command for you to care for vulnerable children is for you, 100% of you who are believers in Jesus. So what does that mean for us? It means there's a different what. Maybe it's not bringing the child in our home, but we are supposed to care for vulnerable children. And this is what I love about our church. And it doesn't matter where you're watching from. You have means of supporting. At Fielder Church, we have already brought 114 children into homes through foster care and adoption over the last five years. Now, I'm praying for hundreds more, but that's a whole sack of families that need a lot of support. And when vulnerable children come in, it's not like, okay, all their vulnerabilities are gone, all their needs are gone, they have a family. No, the family now needs support if we're going to care for those vulnerable children. And this is where we want to partner with you. There are so many ways we can help you step into this support system. I mean, it could be as simple as providing diapers for a vulnerable child, a crib for that child, a bed, uh, clothes, something that that child needs. You can provide that for that family and give it to that vulnerable child. It may be that you need to, uh, to volunteer in the children's ministry because a lot of children who come from vulnerable backgrounds, they come with a lot of trauma and they need one-on-one -on -one care. And you could decide, I'm going to go into the children's ministry so I can be that one-on-one -on -one care for this child from that background because I want to love on this vulnerable child. It may be that you want to take a meal to a family as they're receiving their child because in all the chaos, you want to have it be a little more settled. It may be that there's a family going, we can't do it because of the cost. And you're going, I'll, I'll pay. I'll give, I'll give by the thousands so that you can bring a child in your home to, to take away all the excuses. Probably the biggest one, though, is we could become trained in respite care. If you're going to enter into the foster care system, one of the things you have to do is you have to have references of people who are respite care workers so that you know you have a support system. And what would happen if in our church we had thousands of families that were trained in respite care? Where it's like, I, I want to keep my child this weekend because everybody keeps asking to take my child home. Because we have so many people trained in respite care. What kind of army would that be? And this past Wednesday as a staff when we were praying, the Lord just put it upon my heart. Now I, I want to tell you, I just had this image of what, what would it be like if 100% of the believers of our church said, yes, I want to do something. And there was so much money available for, for families adopting, that excuse would go completely away. The, the, someone's going by, I don't have the supplies, I don't have the crib. That, man, there's so much stuff going in, you have to turn people away because there's so much resource for you. There's so many respite care workers. There's such a huge, vast support system that you would almost be a fool not to adopt the moment God calls you because you know he's going to take care of everything because of the community around you. I believe God wants to do that because we as a whole band together and care for vulnerable children in our midst. You just got to say, yes, I'll do something. There's blessing in the doing. And so the question isn't, is God calling me to adopt? The question is, how is God calling me to care for vulnerable children? And if you're willing to ask that question, then we want to give you a whole bunch of steps to do so. There are so many beautiful ways for you to do it. So we're not going to end with another song. We're not going to end with anything else. I'm going to tell you what I'd like you to do, and then I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to send you out to do it. Here's the, the, the easiest way to do it. You can let us know that you're putting your yes on the table I want to help care for vulnerable children. I'll do whatever 
whatever door opens up. Whether you feel called to adopt or foster parent or to support these children that are coming into homes or give toward the cause, all you have to do is text the word adoption to 94253. Or you can go straight to the webpage. You can go to filler.org slash foster adopt. You can get the same information. But if you text the word adoption to 94253, you're going to get a quick response, a reply that's going to give you all the details to take the steps that you need to take. But I'm asking you, I'm, I'm right now, I'm, I'm asking you not to wait, not to put it off, not to pray about it. The word is clear. We are supposed to care for vulnerable children. We have a means of doing so. If you don't live in the local community, I guarantee around you there are vulnerable children. And we can still help connect you, even if you don't live in the Metroplex, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas. We want to make sure you have a means of doing something to care for vulnerable children. Just take this one step and let us help you and guide you. Now, I'm about to pray, but let me just say this, this too. I remind you earlier, if you came to the point of saying, okay, I need to begin my relationship with Jesus. I'm ready to admit my sins, believe in Jesus Christ, and confess Christ as my sin. I'm ready to take these steps. You need to let us know, please. We want to follow up with you. So remind you, text the word next step to 94253. And when you text that word next step to 94253, you're going to get a pastor reach out to you and just figure out how we can help you take that next step of faith. That's why it's called next step because this is the next step you need to take as you grow in your faith. So guys, thank you for listening. I'm going to pray over you guys and then we're going to send you out. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, God, that you don't ask us to do anything that you haven't already done for us. And I pray that you would stir our hearts to believe that we have been washed clean. To look at the mirror and not forget the miracle of what you've done in us. So that when we walk away, we do, we put into practice this gospel that we've received. We don't just inhale it, we exhale it. And we do for others what you've already done for us. Show us the way. We want to be blessed in our doing. God, use us. Here we are. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Builder Church, you are sent.